Probably the best school radio station in the world. This is Bry Radio. Proudly sponsored by the BPA. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the studio here tonight. We're back with another episode of Bry Island Discs. And luckily for us in the studio tonight, we have Bex Williams. Say hi to us, Bex. Hi there, Ollie. Good evening. Good to see you. Good evening, indeed. So tonight, Bex, we'll be setting you adrift the wonderful Bry Island. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I have one quick question to start us off. Um, as always, what luxury item and book would you bring to the wonderful Bry Island Discs? And tell us why you would bring that item. Oh, that's a, that's a tall order. Um, one luxury item would probably be a teapot. Yeah, my teapot, my, my, my granny's silver teapot. And, um, and my and my, and my book, um, I think the book I'd probably go for is um, a book I'm reading at the moment called The Persian Boy uh, by a lady called uh, Mary Renault. And uh, it's an amazing story that comes out of uh, the time of Alexander the Great. So that's what I take with me. Oh, wonderful. People very civilised. Uh, yeah, yeah, love my tea, love my tea. And the culture I come from, which is a Persian culture, tea is all about uh, family time, about resting. It's a bit of a performance and a bit of a ceremony. So tea in my culture is really, really important. That's really, really cool. So, I mean, being on the wonderful Bry Island, what would you, what can you imagine yourself kind of doing stranded on on such an island? Well, I don't have to think very far to think about being on an island because I was brought up on an island. Um, I was brought up on the island of Mauritius, which is in the Indian Ocean. And so therefore, when I hear the word island, uh, I think about being at home. So palm trees and uh, lovely beaches, uh, lots of cultures of five different nationalities living on one island. So for me, Bright Island, probably a small version of that. Wow. I mean, it's so cool. It sounds so that um, probably Bright Island is, you know, so familiar to kind of mm. what you're used to. So, I mean, Mauritius is so almost tropical. I think it's kind of like the ideal holiday destination for so many of us. Talk to me about what kind of living there is like. So um, I'm going to take you back to Mauritius probably around about uh, nearly 50 years ago. I went there when I was about one. And um, Mauritius then was not really a holiday destination. It was a tropical island which wasn't very uh, cultivated or didn't have a lot of infrastructure in it, but always had amazing people. So the island of Mauritius has uh, five different nationalities, uh, French and uh, Afro um, Afro um, heritage, um, and then French, uh, from France and from um, England and also from China. Um, and India. So all these guys live together in complete harmony, which is quite unusual. So, uh, yeah, it's a very, very beautiful place and amazing rich culture. I mean, I appreciate, you know, being one that's, I mean, obviously not the most recently. So, I mean, from what you can remember, how does it kind of compare to the kind of scenes, the life of what it's like to live in the UK? Oh, it's chalk and cheese. So I didn't come back to the UK until um, I was around about 13. And um, I hadn't really had a formal education then at all. I'd been running around uh, being the the only kid in the room that really couldn't speak the, the, the languages. So I had to learn lots of different languages. And um, I had to really learn how to adapt and live in a different culture. So very, very different to living in on the south coast of the UK. 
Yeah, indeed. Indeed, yeah. it sounds like it. I mean, climate and everything. So Very much so. Yeah, food's different. People were different. Environment were different. Temperature different. So I think what it gave me is a really good understanding of how our international students feel coming into a new country. I can really relate to that. I really love talking to pupils who have just arrived from overseas and coming to the UK. That that transition period is is a really hard but really fascinating time as well. Yeah, I mean, about that transition period, talk to me a little bit about it more. Is that quite a difficult thing to settle in a new country? Is that quite, as, as an international, how do you, do you feel very welcomed coming, coming to the UK? I, I think you do initially because it's exciting and it's new. But when it comes to understanding different languages, uh, different cultures, how the inferences and the nuances, those are the difficult parts. And I worked really hard as a kid to know how to um, integrate into different society, into a different society. Um, uh, but that stayed with me for the rest of my life, really. So I think it's a bit of a skill of mine is to be able to integrate somewhere quite quickly. Wow, very translatable and incredible skill nonetheless. Bex, we're going to move on to your first song. Um, oh, I'm not going to try is it. Is it Nessun Dorma? Is that Nessun right? Dorma, Nessun which Dorma. is a, it's an amazing rendition of Nessun Dorma. It's a, it's a piece of opera, but it's uh, sung by my absolute music hero, so Aretha Franklin. And um, it combines a operatic style, um, but sung by one of the greatest jazz musicians ever. So the queen herself. Wow, we're privileged <laughs> enough to hear it now. Let's do that. Oh, 
right, welcome back, everyone. Uh, so great little break right there. Lovely, lovely song. Um, so thank you, Bex, for that. So Bex, here at Bryanston, you have the wonderful role of customer engagement director. I think is that right? It is. It is. It's uh, it's an unusual title to find in a school. And um, you're probably going to ask me what it means. Is that right? So yeah, yeah. Right. yeah that was coming. <laughs> I'm still working that one out. So um, what does it mean? I've got the privilege, first of all, to work for this amazing school. I love it. Um, uh, my my son went here, and I love everything that Bryanston stands for. So what does customer engagement mean? It really means that um, I need to understand where families are coming from um, and what they're looking for, um, how it feels to be part of uh, Bryanston from a, uh, when the admissions through the admission process and while mums and dads are here. Um, and also while they're here, as you guys' families are, of what that experience is to be at Bryanston. Um, I look after the marketing team as well. So um, Bryanston... Um, has uh, recently launched a, um, a new advertising campaign uh, called Imagine. And uh, that was, came from an idea from The Promise, which we launched earlier in the year. So, um, yeah, it's our first advertising campaign for a very, very long time. So that's exciting. Yeah, we'll get on to that quite shortly. Um, but I believe you said that you, um, in the previous break, that you were saying that you're, you know, being from Mauritius and kind of being able to integrate quite nicely into different cultures and communities and countries do you think that has enabled you and helped you kind of thrive currently in your role and kind of what that entails? I think um, when you've lived in a different country and you come from a very multicultural family, as I do, um, you become one of my skill sets, I suppose. Uh, I've only got a few, but I think one of them is, is a good listener and also to understand how people are feeling about something. And you end up uh, developing a, an important skill, which is empathy. So I'd like to be able to think I'm a bit of an empath. And what that means is I try to understand how people are feeling and how um, that they want their experience to be for their child and for themselves when they become part of the Bryanston family. Yeah, right. And um, and on that kind of marketing campaign, the Bryanston promise, I mean, um, personally, I feel a little bit, little bit guilty because I'm not entirely word for word sure what the promise actually is. Mm. Um, and so is that something that you can explain to both me and sure. all the viewers? So, um when you're um, talking about engagement and when you're talking about um, uh, what a, a vision for a, an organisation like like Bryanston, like a, a school or it's a company or um, any big institution, um, you're, you make a promise to the people that um, are part of that. And that's what we decided to do um, back in the spring. And we launched a promise to um, not just the pupils, but to the staff and to the families and the, to the parents who send their children here uh, to our alumni. And we promised them that Bryanston would um, be the school where children can, I, it's a lovely phrase, you come to learn to light your fire and to learn to love your mind. And that's quite a, a big promise to to make to to a pupil that comes to Bryanston, a place to learn to come and learn to love your mind. And what that means is, is that you find your own passion. And um, the promise is, is to help every pupil that comes to Bryanston to find that passion so they can learn to love what they want to do. Wow. So a very big promise. On the big list. promise. Quite, quite hard to fulfill, but it I'm is. sure Bryanston's got the capability. Yeah, and sure I think when it. you've got a vision, um, you've got to reach the stars and, and uh, really have something to really extend to. And um, I think Bryanston is such, has so many different assets that it can bring to a child's education and a people's education um, that we, we should be able to make promises like that. 
Definitely. And I think it can, which is lovely. Yeah. Um, so tell me how you kind of, I guess you were quite heavily involved in the kind of spearheading of this project. Well, um, I was really fortunate when I started at Bryanston only just over a year ago. Um, a lot of work can be done on the vision project, which meant where's Bryanston going in the future? And that needs to be articulated. And that was one of my jobs to to work with some fantastic writers and some fantastic creative people of what that promise would sound like and the words that would go with that. So, um, yeah, we, we launched that back in the spring. And um, those that have heard it, those that have understood it, have really actually thought, yeah, this feels right. This feels like it really resonates with me. Um, so that's really good. That's good. I'm glad it's so relatable because I personally, I remember seeing it a while ago and I remember yeah. kind of, its impact on me and it was as powerful as it was that was it was great to hear um bex we're going to move on to your second song i believe um which uh, i think we've got here is, is is vegas by doja cat is that right yeah yeah it's in the new elvis film have you seen the new elvis film oh um, confession but, no i haven't <laughs> oh, it's great by baz Luhrmann. it's absolutely amazing beautifully shot film um and uh it's worth worth seeing so uh it's a real mixture of uh elvis is one of my my uh, pop heroes as well and I think the way uh, Doja Cat had taken uh, the elements of that song and turned it around for the film is fantastic. Wow. Well, let's hear a little kind of sneak peek of, of what that all entails right now.
Okay, wonderful. So Bex, I think we were just kind of talking a little bit about in the break. So I guess being a parent, what can we almost uh, expect, uh, being a prospective parent, I mean, almost kind of what we expect from you? Well, I work really closely with um, the admissions team and uh, the marketing team have to work hand in hand, really. So um, marketing is all about storytelling. It's about how you uh, explain um, the experience, explain um, the inner workings of Bryanston, um, explain uh, what makes it different and it makes it stand out to and makes it so individual. And the brilliant, brilliant uh, admissions team, they um, work hand in glove with the marketing team to really make sure that experience for mums and dads and the children that come here, the prospective kids that want to come to Bryanston, feel um, cared for, feel really informed, feel they can connect with the school. Um, and they feel that they're walked with while they're doing, going through that process. Um, so by the time they join Bryanston, it feels quite familiar. So I don't know if you could remember, Ollie, when you first got to Bryanston, how you, did you start in D? I did. Yeah. Yes, I did. So, yeah. you know, cast your way back, you know, to when you're 13 or a bit younger even. Um, if you feel more familiar then and you feel that you're really engaged and got to know the brilliant members of staff here and the teaching staff and the, the tutors, then and you've been here a couple of times it's not so daunting and then you hopefully start on that you know maybe it's the first or second of september on that year in d you think actually yeah i i know a little bit around but it's still exciting it's still new but it's not too daunting so that's i suppose what we really want all children to feel it's not too daunting they feel familiar so i'm working really hard to be able to make that happen and the um i'm really grateful to be able to work with the brilliant admissions team but also with um the academic team who are so so supportive so that's really great no i agree no it's so i again just as you said i felt very um from my own personal experience i felt very welcomed mm. very familiarized by the time i got here in India. i remember kind of coming away from a familiarization session thinking right i want to start tomorrow yeah. you know so 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 excited yeah. um so no thank you for kind of making all the prospective parents, I'm sure, feel that way as well. I think uh, you have such an important role and it's so interesting kind of hearing a little bit about it. Um, I'd like to, if possible, find out a little bit more about how you kind of got into the role, like mm. what your kind of path to your sure. this kind of career. So talk to me a little, bit, a little bit about that. So when I left university, I did my um, undergrad in, in marketing communications and I did my master's in publishing. And I was very lucky. I snuck in the back door at uh, British Airways uh, and I started off in the airline industry and I started um, as a press executive um, on work experience. And uh, I did it for a month and I wasn't going to be paid. And I went back after they, the month had finished and um, I went back and I said, can I stay a bit longer? And uh, I think it's around about 12, 13 years later, um, I was very fortunate that I rose to the ranks and was able to look after the press office. And so I learned to communicate. I learned to about marketing and I learned and I was very lucky to work on an amazing aircraft called Concorde. So um, that was my experience of really understanding how a customer feels if you put them 33,000 feet in the air in a baked bean tin with wings and make it go very fast and you learn a lot about people and how they're going to react. So I went from working in the airline industry and then I worked in some agencies, um, some quite well-known agencies in marketing and in advertising. And then 
I worked for a gentleman called Bob Geldof, I don't know if you've heard of him, and I did some um, PR for him, um, and he um, was a, a really interesting musician, and he did something called Live Aid, I don't know if you've heard of that before. So um, I'm getting lots of shaking, or oh, one nod of the head and one yeah, shake of the head. <laughs> um, so that was really interesting. And then um, I had an opportunity to work in a school, and I thought, actually, I'm going to try something different, um, and I've never looked back. So I've been working in schools now, I think it's 10, 11 years or so and I'm learning every day so every day literally is a school day for me and um, I stand in awe of what uh, teaching staff do and what the support teams do to to run these little little towns almost aren't they schools they've got every dynamic of, of society and life going through them and um, I think it's amazing because education is, is the most important thing. Oh absolutely I think it's uh, that that's an incredible journey I think Definitely listening to your kind of um, BA, your British Airways uh, journey is particularly interesting. I mean, over a decade plus long experience um, in industry, what would you say outside of communications and marketing was your biggest kind of takeaway from that, you know, as I said, decade plus long um, experience? Team. Um, if you can learn to work as part of a team um, and you can learn what your role within that team is to serve the other person you're working with, I think that is what I took away from that. Um, when you're working uh, alongside people that uh, you need to work hand in glove with and you're uh, working towards the same direction and same vision, then some amazing things can happen. Um, and British Airways at this time was was brilliant at that. And you see that at Bryanston now. People have uh, committed to working for what Bryanston stands for. And that's why the team is such a fantastic place to work with. Definitely. No, I agree. Um, Bex, I think we're going to move on to your, I think, third song we've got up here. Um, In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley. Is that right? Or is that is that the right song? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So you heard a, a Doja Cat's version of the uh, of uh, a song that was set in the film Elvis by and Baz Lem's new film and this is the the, the king himself um, one of my favourite songs wonderful we're here now thank you so much as the snow flies on a cold and grey Chicago morning a poor little baby child is born in the ghetto And his mama cries Cause if there's one thing she don't need Is another hungry mouth to feed in the ghetto In the ghetto Now People, don't you understand The child needs a helping hand He'll grow to be an angry young man someday I Take a look at you and me are we too blind to see? Or do we simply turn our heads and look the other way? Well, the world turns. And a hungry little boy with a running nose plays in the street as the cold wind blows in the ghetto. And his hunger burns So he starts to roam the streets at night And he learns how to steal And he learns how to fight in the ghetto Then one night in desperation The young man breaks away 
He buys a gun, he steals a car, he tries to run, but he don't get far, and his mama cries. As a crowd gathers round, an angry young man face down in the street with a gun in his hand in the ghetto. And as her young man dies. On a cold and gray Chicago morning, another little baby child is born in the ghetto. And his mama cries. We're back, everyone. And Bex, we were just saying in the break, actually, it's I, I mean, I've learned so much in literally two minutes, but um, I think hopefully we'll kind of convey that over in the next few minutes to all of you out there. So the Concord uh, plane we were just talking about, I mean, talk to us kind of about the difference between a Concord and kind of a standard plane and what, what that is, really. OK, it was the Concord, not a Concord. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so Concord, yeah, Concord um, was a supersonic jet that was uh, came uh, into the airlines uh, world in the 1970s and it looked uh, perfect if you were to go and uh, fold a piece of paper to make it into a paper airplane it would have a very sharp point wouldn't it and it would come out like a fan at the back that's exactly what Concorde looked like and she was an icon and uh, there was only two countries that had um, Concorde one was uh, the UK British Airways the other one was Air France and Concorde was um, the ultimate flying experience. Um, she flew at 55,000 feet and um, she would go at Mach 2, so twice the speed of sound. And when she would fly over the um, out of Heathrow Airport and she'd fly west very often to New York and she would get to the west coast of the UK and she'd go over across the, the West Country and go over um, Heartland Point and within minutes of her or seconds of her leaving uh, the coastline, you suddenly hear boom, boom. And that was a sonic boom going off. It was like a great big uh, shock waves that would come out of her engines. And it was just amazing. And I was very lucky. There was some incredible people that worked for Concorde. And uh, I was fortunate enough to fly on her on a regular, regular um, basis because I looked after the customers and I'd look after journalists that would fly on Concorde. Um, and it's a, I went on a number of times and every time I was blown away. And it only had 100 seats. It's quite a small cockpit. Um, but it's still uh, an engineering feat that the uh, UK and those other nations who were involved in the development of Concorde should be proud of. She was an icon of the airline industry. Wow. And did you get kind of much um, uh, kind of hands-on experience with Concorde? Were you on, did you go on Concorde quite frequently? I did, yeah. And um, I was very uh, proud to work a lot with the cabin crew and I take lots of journalists on the, on the plane and that experience of what Concorde meant from a customer journey, but also from an engineering perspective, always blew people's minds. 
Um, and uh, when you saw Concord in the sky, um, her, her, her call name when she was taxiing off the runway was Speedbird. And you'd hear the um, very, very deep voice of um, Mike Bannister, who was the chief pilot, and another gentleman called Jock Lowe. And they would say, Speedbird 001, ready for takeoff. And, and off she'd go um, at an amazing speed down the, the runway. And to watch her take off was something quite beautiful. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, I, I just think that's so cool. Do you think kind of in the future, you reckon um, the Concorde model will be kind of quite replicatable? Will that kind of I think, be... I think she's set thing? an amazing um, bar for uh, the airline industry to, to develop on. And I know there's lots of prototypes um, that have tried to build on the Concorde model. Uh, there was lots of reasons why Concorde wasn't a success. And one of them is probably a bit of an environmental reason. She was a noisy bird. <laughs> <laughs> a very noisy bird in the ground, in the uh, in the sky, but uh, and that was an issue, and that's why lots of countries didn't adopt having Concorde because she was quite noisy. Um, I don't know what her uh, her carbon footprint would be. I'm not sure it'd be where it needs to be for for the serious um, climate crisis that we're facing, and that's one thing that the whole airline industry needs to work very hard on. Sorry, I appreciate this kind of becoming a bit of an aviation quiz, not at all. in a way. No, <laughs> but um, just one one kind of final question: Do you think? Um, do you think that we'll so we won't you don't think we'll ever see kind of that Concorde model ever again I think that, we'll right? see I think um, if the the world the brilliant engineers that are out there and you know people like yourselves who you know want to know about engineering and about aviation about avionics um, and about travel um, it's a bit of a challenge isn't it you know you can have people want speed um, they want it to be economical and they want it uh, and it should be environmentally not damaging as, as the airline industry can be um, but I think uh, the world of Concorde what would be great to see if if a speed bird like Concorde as beautiful as Concorde could be achieved by achieving and ticking all those really essential boxes then why not um, and I'm sure some brilliant engineering mind out of Bryanston might Maybe one design one day design something like that. How oh, cool can, would that be? We can hope that'd be so so cool. <laughs> it would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, so Bex, just moving on to kind of your penultimate song, I think now. Um, I think it's "Feel the Love" uh, by Rudimental. So yeah, just talk to us a little bit about that choice. This is going to make you laugh now. Um, I used to play the song when my kids would not get out of bed in the morning. So I would whack the radio up, and you can't just not jiggle around to this guy. You just got to get out of bed, and you got to feel the love. So um, it's a feel-good song, and um, I think it always puts a smile on my face. It reminds me of trying to get my my two kids out of bed when they were younger. Wow, that's a very fond memory. Let's hear that now. Yeah. <laughs> 
story we've heard really over the last kind of half an hour I would say Bex I mean the airline industry is just so so interesting it is addictive I won't lie as you as you were just saying do you know what I'd I would um travel is addictive uh and I'm you know we're, we're lucky to be in Bryanston when we're in a place that is a uh, pinnacle of a brilliant education um but I would urge and encourage any uh, of our pupils to also seek to travel because you learn more through travel um, and life experience and um, you, you, you learn about yourself and you learn about people and you learn about what you can and what you can't do. Travel, if one has the opportunity, go out there and grab it with both hands. It will teach you so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Advice, everyone, advice. That's that's good advice to listen to. Thank you, Bex. Um, so um, just a little bit about music, actually. I guess key, a staple of the Rye Island Disc um, podcast show series really is that um, you know we have five songs of your choice and so obviously we've listened to four about to be your fifth Um, so talk to me about where your kind of music taste inspiration kind of came from Um, oh that's a really interesting question Ollie I think when you've lived overseas and when you've heard and experienced lots of different types of music um, 
I think my, and it's probably a bit of a cliche, but my, my knowledge and my understanding, my love of music is quite eclectic. Um, I love uh, island music. Um, in Mauritius, there's a, uh, a type of music called Sega, which comes from uh, a sad background, which was in the slave trade, where um, there was a lot of slaves in, in on the island of Mauritius who cut the sugarcane and the way they were treated was horrendous. And the songs they sang were... Uh, amazing stories it was a way to carry on their their experience through song um and then um so that's one part i love i love indigenous music um i love classical music love opera um and uh i think um music and it's really interesting today i was talking to some uh, pupils that were hoping to come to Branson to do uh and they were doing their scholarships and some were doing art and some were doing drama and some were going to be doing music scholarships and what's amazing about people that are willing and brave enough to put their creative mark on out to everybody else whether it's through music or drama or singing they're really brave because they are giving themselves and they're giving their, their art and what they're trying to express purely of themselves uh, to, to be to be criticised in some way or to be judged if it's good enough. And I thought people that can do that through music are, are quite amazing. So I've got deep respect for any musician. Um, but no, I love music and I come from a, a family where there's an awful lot of music in my house a lot of the time. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm aware of your kind of super musical kind of talents within your family and we'll kind of get onto that in a minute but would you say outside of well actually including um your kind of Mauritius history uh what would you say has kind of been the single biggest biggest pivotal critical factor um that has influenced your decisions of you know your kind of taste of music most um it would be diversity so um as I mentioned earlier on, I come from a very multicultural background. So um, I'm half Persian, half English. Um, my dad was brought up in Japan. Um, we travelled as children. We lived on an island. Um, so the the pivotal part is music that's got a bit of a story to it. So um, all the pieces of music today, except for the rudimental ones, has, has got a bit of a story to it. And they've got a bit of a biography behind them as well. So I suppose that's what what I like about music. And the, the pivotal part is um, the storytellers, I think, is what inspires me, the music I love anyway. Yeah, no, lovely, lovely. And your son, Connor, who I'm very fortunate to have, to have met, he was my head of house a couple of years ago, you know, really, really incredible guy. Um, and I hope to meet him again soon, actually. Um, how, I mean, he's super, super musical. So kind of talk to me a little, little bit about, did, did, did Connor at all have an effect on you with music or...? <laughs> I'm going to embarrass him now. Um, when he was little, um, he, from the age of two, sung nonstop. And um, when living with Connor, um, when he was at home before he came to Bryanston to board, um, Connor's singing was just part of our sound of our home. And it was nonstop. Whether or not you wanted to hear it or whatever time of day it was, it was nonstop. And he would do the same thing at school. So when a lot of people might be a bit of a chatterbox, Connor was a, a chap that would just not stop singing. And um, what was amazing for me is his mum was to watch uh, him. And I'm, you know, he was very grateful to Bryanston that Bryanston enabled his love of music in a very free way. You know, we're sitting in our amazing music department and... I always remember him saying to me, Mum, I'm just going to pop down um, to be in the music department in the evenings. That was his happy place, you know, whether it was with friends or by, by himself. Being able to access the facilities in the music department here was just what made his love of music become um, 
bigger and deeper. And he became a, a pretty good songwriter because of Branson's um, encouragement and, oh. his, and his hard work. <laughs> yeah, a wonderful OB, Connor is. No, thank you so much. And Bex, to be honest, I think we're slightly running out of time, but you've been you know you've been great to have on the show this evening thank you so much for coming on an absolute pleasure indeed so thank you no really thank you very it. much um and actually kind of on the topic of connor actually i think we've got uh your fifth and final song is is by connor so, that's okay no that's wonderful so um just a reference for everyone out there so let's hear that now again thanks for listening everyone and thank you bex for kind of coming on the show this evening thanks, thank you Together. 
This is Bryanston School's very own radio station, Bry Radio. Probably the best school radio station in the world. This is Bry Radio. Proudly sponsored by the BPA.